Hi there, everyone. Happy Mother's Day. I trust that you're all going to be a blessing to the mothers around you. I want to share with you today on the subject of five dimensions of mothering, five dimensions of mothering. I believe that the grace to mother is so central to any community. Communities need mothers. But what do mothers actually do differently? What does mothering really involve? You see, the enemy wants to hinder effective mothering through dishonoring the function and the roles that mothers play. You see, there's a role that mothers play in society and the enemy wants us to dishonor it and to hinder the effectiveness of mothers. A community is not a community without mothers and mothering. You see, it is primarily a function and a role that many women play, but I believe that it's important to understand the spiritual dimension of mothering as a capability beyond its gender expression. This is so important. Mothering is, is it's a capability, it's a leadership capability, it's a societal capability, and it's so important. It's so important, especially if we're going to experience resilience, community resilience, you see. When it comes to resilience and resilient communities, we've got um, psychological resilience, we've got emotional resilience, we've got physical resilience, we've got community resilience. And a community cannot be resilient without this capability of mothering. And I'm speaking beyond just the role of being a biological mother, but I'm also talking about the concept of mothering and what that actually looks like. And we're going to go deep into it in this message. In addition to this, there's mothering principles. There are mothering principles that can be extrapolated to all of us spiritually if we're going to be effective in our Christian walk. And then after this, I want to actually outline what our response to mothers should be what our response to motherhood should be. There's a way we respond to motherhood. There's a way in which we can enable mothers to mother effectively. You see, how we respond to mothering enables mothers to be the best version of themselves. We want to make it easy for mothers to mother, all right? And this is so crucial. Um, and the Bible itself has a number of guidelines for how we should relate to mothers and mothering. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, 1 to 2, it says, Do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father. So there's a way you relate to a father. To the younger men as brothers, the older women as mothers, and the younger women as sisters in all purity. So there's such a powerful scripture because it shows me that there must be a way to relate to mothers. Paul assumed that Timothy knew what this was. He says, hey, when you're relating to older women, relate to them as you would a mother. Well, how do you relate to a mother? He assumed Timothy knew. It also shows me that if you're an older woman, then you must be ready to be treated as the mother. So let's explore these five dimensions. The first thing about mothers that I want to highlight, and this is not exhaustive, there are other aspects of motherhood, but I want to mention five. Mothers feed. Mothers are feeders. If you look at the physiology of women, there is an ability to, uh, to nurture, to nurse, and to feed their little ones. As men, we can't do this. Many men, when they have their first child, they feel a bit useless. They say, I want to help my wife. I want to support her. But Paul, even if I wake up in the middle of the night, I haven't got the apparatus. All right. They don't have the equipment within them to feed the baby. There's nothing in me and on me that can feed a child. 
But the way God designed the female, the mother, is that she can actually feed. Isn't it interesting? You know, and it's so interesting how this passion to feed continues even when the children get, get older. My kids are at that stage in their teens where they consume a lot of food. And sometimes it might annoy me and I'm like thinking, yo, we're always buying food for these guys. They just love food. You know, if you want to keep them happy, just feed them. Just keep feeding them. And they're happy. And my, my wife, I was about to say my mother, my wife, your wife ain't your mama, Paul. My wife has taken a hold of this. You know, I can be engaged in intimate conversation with her. But when the kids arrive and they're around the dining room table, her instinct to feed them kicks in, much to my annoyance sometimes, because she's already like, oh, Sammy, you can have more of this. Oh, have you guys seen? We've got, I've got this. And then there are those rolls over there. Then you can also have this. There's something unnatural about a woman or a mother who doesn't care about what her children eat. Just think about that. You know, even if she's not the one who's actually making the food all the time, we expect a mother to be concerned about the nourishment of her family. And this is so crucial and so important. It's an aspect of mothering. But what's the spiritual dimension of this? We're called to feed those we're discipling. You see, growth in life and growth in a community only comes when there's feeding. So my question is, who are you teaching the word? Who are you feeding? You see, that's a capability of mothers, isn't it? To feed. Who are you feeding the word? Right? If, if you look at scripture, if you look in scripture, teaching is not something limited to men. Right? In Proverbs 6, verse 20 to 21, it says, My son, observe the commandment of your father and do not forsake the teaching of your mother. So there's a, a role that a mother plays in feeding her children, in teaching her children. It says, bind them continually on your heart. Tie them around your neck. What did your mom teach you? Bind them continually on your heart. Tie them around your neck. Those of you who are children right now, do you listen to what your mother teaches you? There's the teaching of the mother, and we need to honor this. In Titus chapter 2, verse 3, it says, Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderous or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. To teach what is good. Right? So there's a teaching role that's there. And then in verse 4, I love it in the NLT, it says, These older women must train the younger women to love their husbands and their children. So if you're an older woman, you're called to teach what is good, right? So there's a teaching element there. Then it goes on to say, these older women must train. So we're called to, you're called to teach and to train the younger women to love their husbands and their children. How, how often do you hear people talking about that? Hey, let me train you to love your husband. There's a technology to it in terms of how to love your husband. Those of you who are older women, do you know how to do that? And are you doing that? Are you teaching the younger women how to love their husbands and how to love their children? Again, very important. So mothers are feeders. Mothers are feeders. So crucial. The second thing I want to highlight, second dimension of mothering, is that mothers nurture and comfort. When my children get hurt, they don't run to me. They go to their mother. If you struggle with showing compassion and empathy, then there's something missing in your mothering, right? So my question to you is, what climate have you created in your home 
and in the spaces around you. As a mother, you're a social architect who creates climate. I often tell my wife that home is not the same when she's not there. Yes, she can make sure the food is there, she can make sure we're taken care of, but it can still have that boarding school feeling if she's not there. There's something that comes with that mothering grace. And I know many of you know what I'm talking about. You know, my, my kids often act quite tough, like, hey, they don't need any help, they're all fine. But whenever my wife is away, I've noticed something. You'll find that they'll start emerging from their rooms. And at a certain point, they'll ask me, Dad, where's mom? And I tell them where she is, when she coming back. And I ask them why? And they don't really give me a straight answer. But I know that from their perspective, there's something missing. There's something missing, you see? And often the thing that we remember is the climate our mothers created. The climate they created through the, their scent, how they smelled, their warmth, the cooking, the care. And when I reflect on my upbringing, I don't always remember the exact words that my mother used, but I remember how I felt around her. I felt free to be myself around her. I felt celebrated. I felt I could talk and talk, and I, know she would I knew she would listen, right? I felt that she was interested. There's something about mothers that brings nurture and comfort. In Isaiah 66 verse 13, it says, As a mother comforts her child, so will I comfort you. It's amazing how God actually uses the imagery of mother, that archetypal mother, comfort, nurture. He uses that to describe how he is a motherly aspect of him. It says, as a mother comforts her child, so I will comfort you and you will be comforted over Jerusalem. I'm telling you now the ability to soothe and to comfort is central to mothering. And you know what the sad thing is, moms out there? We live in a society that is hardening us. The tenderness is decreasing. Many women today will tell you that the corporate world has hardened them and they don't like who they're becoming. When I've coached women in the corporate world, I ask that question, do you like who you're becoming? No, Paul, I don't like who I'm becoming. I used to be very sweet, very nurturing, but corporate has hardened me and I don't like who I'm becoming. Spiritually, when we are being pastoral, it can look like mothering. I remember meeting up with an old friend of mine from school. I met him a couple of years ago and we were just catching up. And I was simply asking him questions about his life and demonstrating curiosity and perhaps asking him a few coaching questions. And at a certain point, he described me as being very nurturing and felt a bit awkward being described as that, you know, as a man. Like, you know, someone says, you're very nurturing, okay? But it is true because sometimes when you're pastoral, sometimes when you're just genuinely caring and curious, it comes across as nurturing. And that's a massive dimension of mothering. I encourage you, if you're a biological mother to children or taking care of any children out there, it's crucial. It's crucial that you are nurturing and comforting. Question, are you? Are you? Or have you been hardened by the world? The third dimension of mothering I want to share with you is that mothers bring forth life. Mothers bring forth life. And we know this, don't we? But we can extrapolate this to a spiritual dimension, can't we? There's a birthing that needs to take place in the spirit. But are we doing so? Are we bringing forth life? You see, the process of bringing forth life involves three stages. Receiving the seed. Okay, so the woman receives the seed from the man. And then carrying the life within you 
for however long the gestation period is. For us as human beings, it's nine months. For different animals, it's different lengths of time. And then birthing it, bringing it forth. And I believe that this is a capability we're all called to have spiritually if we're going to impact the generations. So let's talk a bit about the receiving element of it. If you look at Luke, look in Luke chapter 1 verse 38. This is when the angel spoke to Mary. Remember angel Gabriel came and spoke to Mary and basically explained what was going to happen to her, that she was going to give birth to a son, etc., and this was the response. She said, she asked a number of questions. How can this be? I'm a virgin, etc. Then she ended up saying, I am the Lord's servant. Mary answered, may your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. You know, this shows me that Mary had a choice. It wasn't forced on her. I don't believe it was forced on her. You see, God calls us, but we have to receive the calling. Mary had a choice and she chose to receive the word from the angel. She said, may your word to me be fulfilled. That's the power of agreement. In some translations, it says, be it unto me according to thy word. Isn't it powerful? Isn't that beautiful song um, around that. It wasn't easy for her. My question to you is, have you received your calling? A calling has to be first received. In Ephesians 4 verse 1, uh, it says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. One of the reasons many of us don't end up birthing great things for the Lord and for his kingdom is we haven't actually received God's word, received his calling, received what he has said to us to do. You see, some of us are double-minded right now concerning the call of God on our lives. So there's the receiving of that seed, the seed of the promise, the seed of assignment, the seed of the word, the seed of prophecy fully receiving it. The next part is carrying it, carrying it. In the book of Psalms 139 verses 12 through to 13, it says, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as, is as light to you. Now watch this. For you created my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. It's amazing. In the darkness of your mother's womb, God, will, God knit you together. Isn't it amazing to reflect on the great work God does in darkness within the womb? No one can see, but God is at work. Right now, there's something you're carrying. You're pregnant with destiny. People can't see it. It's not glamorous. You're in that season of obscurity, but there's still a deep work that is taking place, a deep fashioning that is taking place in that place of hiddenness. And you see, this is the place where we get disillusioned because we can't see what's going on. But I'm telling you right now, God can see and there are things that he's doing. And so important as a community to know how to carry God's purposes before they're revealed to the world. And many of us live in a place of doubt where we're wondering, when is it going to happen, Lord? When is it going to happen? Just because you can't see doesn't mean there's no activity. In Luke chapter 2, verse 51, it says, Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. It's talking about Jesus and how he related to his parents. And it says, But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. There were things that Mary, the mother of Jesus, carried in her heart. Question, do you know how to incubate the things you're observing, the revelation that God is giving you? Do you know how to incubate it and look after it and maybe not talk about it too much to any, any old person? 
right? Mary treasured all these things in her heart. Mary, the mother of Jesus, was able to treasure these things in her heart. And I believe that part of carrying God's purpose is being able to meditate on it and to guard our hearts until it comes forth. You know, when a woman is pregnant, she can't just consume whatever she likes because it ends up messing up that child. It can end up killing the dream. She's guarding the treasure. She's guarding the treasure. Are you guarding the promises of God over your life? Are you incubating them? You see, there are things that God wants to birth in our community in this hour, but we have to learn how to incubate these things. And then it's interesting because there's the birthing process. In John chapter 16, verse 21, it says, A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. How many of you know that pain is associated with birthing something? And many of us try to avoid the pain of birthing. Sometimes we just look at the pain and we forget about the joy set before us. Because it says, but when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. I'm telling you, birthing is a wonderful thing. Birthing is a beautiful thing. Birthing, you're birthing the promises of God, the fulfillment of God's promises into the nations. The pain that you're experiencing right now won't last forever. But are you willing to go through the pain in order to birth something powerful? You know, studies have found that the female body has more intense natural response to painful stimuli, indicating a difference between genders in the way pain systems actually function. A greater nerve density present in women may actually cause them to feel, more, uh, to feel pain more intensely than men. It's very fascinating, right? And you see, birthing will often involve pain. The pain of birthing something is often dependent on the size of that thing relative to you. So if you've got a baby with a big head, right, and um, your pelvis is small, ladies, you, some of you know what I'm talking about, right? They might say, oh, you know what, you need to have a C-section because it's going to be really tough trying to actually have a natural birth because this baby's head is too big, right? Um, some of you are trying to birth things in the spirit that are way bigger than you are right now. And so God is taking you through a process of enlarging you, enlarging your inner person so that the birthing can take place and cannot be too painful for you. You see, if we're to birth things in the spirit, we need to increase our pain threshold and our pain tolerance. There's a lady called Jennifer Graham from uh, Penn State University, and she's highlighted that a person's pain threshold is defined as the minimum amount of pain that evokes a report of pain. Pain tolerance means the time that a continuous pain stimulus is tolerated. And I believe that for us to go to our next level when it comes to birthing things in the kingdom, we need to increase our pain threshold and we need to increase our pain tolerance. Birthing is painful. Perhaps you're feeling discouraged because the thing you want to birth has not yet come forth. My question to you is, do you know the gestation period? You see, typically, if something is big and complex, it has to stay in the womb for longer. Think about it. Imagine being pregnant and not actually knowing how long you had to be in that condition. So you're wondering, when will the baby come out? Will the baby come out now? Or do I have to wait a few months? But we know that as human beings, it's that nine months. But if you look at an animal the size of an elephant, you know, the African bush elephant 
and also the Indian elephant apparently has a gestation period of about 22 months. 22 months. But it's understandable because this is the largest land, land animal, isn't it? Right? The gestation period for dogs, for example, is just 58 to 68 days. So maybe you've minimized the size of what you want to birth. Maybe you've minimized the size of what you want to birth. There's something great that God wants to birth in you, but it's going to take time. The gestation period, the incubation period is going to take time. There are things God wants you to pray into that vision before it comes forth. There are things God is developing inside of you so that you are ready to bring forth that vision, the fulfillment of the promise. It was interesting. I obviously started reading up quite a bit on the animal kingdom and so on. And I discovered that the Virginian opossum, you know, some people call them possums and they're actually pets, right? For some people, um, uh, it just has a 12 day gestation period. So imagine the, mo the mother opossum is only pregnant for 12 days. So they can have about three different litters of, of possums throughout um, the year, right? But the, the opossum's uh, lifespan Average lifespan is only four years. So you can see when something is small, right, it doesn't need a long period in the womb. For those of you who don't know opossums, you can look them up. You know, they, it's almost like, it looks like a combo. It looks like combo of a squirrel and a koala bear kind of like setup. It was fascinating just reading up on these, on these animals. They're the kind of animals that play dead. You know, if they're in trouble, they stick out their tongues and just play dead if someone tries to sort of attack them and so on. And they're extremely uh, tidy. You know, they've got a set place where they go and defecate. You know, they, uh, they actually have a litter box culture. You can train them to just use a place for litter and so on. Very interesting. Okay. Um, it, it was interesting reading about the female spotted hyena. You know, her testosterone levels are three times the amount of the male, right? In terms of levels of testosterone. Right? And it's interesting how uh, horrific the birthing process is for these spotted hyenas. Because when it comes to the relative size of the cubs relative to the mom, right, um, the cubs are, are massive. Right? And they're the best example of that in terms of the extremities of it, you know, in terms of small pelvis, small sized mom versus the cubs. And so it's extremely painful. All right for these uh, spotted hyenas when they give birth and so many of their kids die, right? The cubs die in the birthing process. What are you birthing? What is it going to take? Could it be that God wants to enlarge you first before you can bring forth life? Are you trying to birth something incorrectly? In the animal kingdom, the squirrel monkey experiences a lot of pain in birthing because of the large heads of its offspring relative to the pelvis of the mother. Fascinating. In order to birth something in this hour, the Lord wants us to enlarge, to be enlarged. He wants to make us more aware also of our gestation period. Because if we don't know what it is, what happens? We become disillusioned. We become impatient. You know, when a mom is pregnant, sometimes she reaches the point where she's like, this child just needs to come out. But she knows that, you know what, it won't be good for this child to come out just yet. Because the child will only be developed fully and properly um, at the end of the period. When kids are born, born in, uh, premature, what happens? They have to be taken to that incubation um, time and, um, and looked after, right? I believe that God is taking us to a place where we're mature in understanding 
this process of bringing forth life. The fourth dimension I want to share with you of mothering is that mothers bring things together. In the Greek, the word mother is mater, which literally means the source of something. And it's the Hebrew word em, right? Uh, which also speaks of strong water or glue. And if you study how glue was made in ancient times, and they still use some of these methods in terms of animal hide and so on, but that strong water, that same root word for, uh, for mother, in fact, it's where we get emma from, you know, there's em and emma, right? Speaking of mother, mothers are glue. They reconcile, they gather, they unite. In essence, they're like glue. And many people will make this comment when they lose their mothers. They say, she was the one who brought us together. When you study the Proverbs 31 woman, she is the central figure there in her family, bringing everything together and everyone together in the household, husband, children, the workers. In Luke chapter 13, verse 34, it says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned those sent to you, how often have I longed to gather your children together? Can you see? the gathering, right? As a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not willing. The grace to mother is a grace to unite and a grace to reconcile and it's a grace to gather together. And one of the things that grieves a mother is when her children are not united. See, God is calling us to a place of healing relationships, gathering people together, uniting them in one direction. That's a mothering grace. And those of you who are children listening to this, please know that it is painful for a mother when you and your siblings continuously fight. And there's some of you who are grown up right now and you, you and your siblings are always fighting. What does it do to the heart of your mother if she's still alive witnessing all of this? Something for us to think about. I want to encourage you, those who are moms there, keep gathering. There's a grace for you to gather. Keep uniting your family. Keep being that repairer of the breach, bringing people together. Don't be the cause of the division through gossip, right? Through favoritism. I'm telling you the enemy has a field day on moms sometimes because they end up doing the opposite of what they're supposed to do. The fifth dimension of mothering that I want to share with you is that mothers stay. Mothers stay. Mothers don't abandon their children. It's very unnatural when a mother abandons her children. It's very unnatural and it's demonic when that happens, right? In Isaiah 49 verse 15, this is what God says. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, it's almost like God is saying, it's an exception. I will not forget you. And again, he uses the example of a mother. So elsewhere, he talks about how, hey, in the same way that a mother comforts, I will comfort you. He's now saying, in the same way that a mother cannot forget her child, I can't forget you. I can't forget you. You know that in the case of special needs children, there's a high divorce rate amongst the parents, largely because of fathers leaving due to the stress. Because it becomes very stressful when you've got that type of situation. It can, can be very stressful, Right? And a lot of men then struggle in their marriage, struggle with the pressures of my, my, my wife. I feel she's giving the child so much attention. I can't cope with this. I want something easier. And they leave. But what do the mothers do? Mothers stay. 
I see many women returning to work from maternity leave and struggling with having to leave their child at home, right? With many men, it's like, hey, whew, I'm getting cabin fever here. I'm glad the paternity leave is short. I'm, I'm out of here. I need to get back to work, all right? I believe that God is taking us to a place where we have a staying anointing, where we have a staying anointing, where we are able to stay focused and not abandon those people God has called us to take care of. You know, despite all of this, today the statistics, especially here in South Africa, they're alarming. When you look at the number of grandparents, especially grandmothers, who are actually looking after their grandchildren. Because um, there, there are a lot of moms today, sometimes because they are single moms and can't go to work and also look after their children, the children are being looked after by grandparents. There are many cases, sadly, of irresponsible mothers who just use their grand, the, the grandmother now of their children, right? Have one baby with this guy. Oh, grandma, look after the child. Have another baby with this other guy. Oh, grandma, look after the child. And these grandmothers are old and they're supposed to be resting, but they, they're just doing so much work for the kids, right? And sometimes it becomes this thing of, hey, don't worry, but I'll look after you and I'll pay for this and this and this, so you do your work doing the mothering. There's a reason you're the mother of those children. There's a reason God has called you to be their mother. There's something you carry that's for that child. Don't be deceived by the enemy thinking that, oh, I've got nothing to give, right? The mothering ends up continuing right till their old age with a lot of these grandmothers. And often it's because of the irresponsibility of their children. Mothers stay. But in South Africa, there's a lot of, there are a lot of children who are being abandoned today by their parents, by their mothers. According to Stats SA, did you know that in South Africa, about one-fifth, that's 21.3% of children aged 17 years and less did not live with their parents? It may also surprise you to hear that this is against the international norm where the majority of children under 18 live with both their parents, right? Now, I know that, obviously, I know in the States, there's a lot of, there are a lot of absent fathers and in many other countries also, right? It's been found that in South Africa, children are more often not co-resident with their biological parents. And this is mainly due to labor migration of parents as well as low marital rates of mothers, okay? Many unmarried mothers. Consequently, many children are raised by grandparents or other relatives, especially in our rural areas, in our townships. We're seeing it a lot, right? It's a problem. God is calling us to stay at our posts. If you want to understand the spiritual dimension of this, mothers don't abandon your children. Saints don't abandon your post. Don't abandon your post. Shepherds, don't abandon the flock. Don't abandon the assignment that God has given you. Don't abandon those that God has called you to feed. They need you. The enemy's strategy is to get us to think we're not needed and we don't make a difference. Even if they don't appreciate you, keep doing what God has called you to do. So what's our response to motherhood? We've covered these five dimensions and we've looked at what mothers need to do. But what do we need to do to enable our mothers? How do, what's our responsibility, everyone else? What's your responsibility to mothers around you? 
Even if you yourself are a mother, maybe you've got mothers around you still. The first thing is mothers must be praised and honored. It's good to praise and honor mothers. In Proverbs 31 verse 28 says, Her children arise and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Men, praise your wives. Don't be ashamed of it. Don't think to yourself, oh, it's not cool. It's not macho. Right? Her children arise and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Children, start doing that. It's so important. Number two, mothers will be rewarded. I want to encourage those of you who are mothers here. You will be rewarded. Jeremiah 31, 16 to 17 says, this is what the Lord says. Restrain your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, for your work will be rewarded, declares the Lord. They will return from the land of the enemy, so there is hope for your descendants, declares the Lord. Your children will return to their own land. This is a promise for you mothers. You will be rewarded. You will be rewarded. Number three, mothers can be happy. Sometimes we associate mothering with sadness, you know, and I know for many mothers out there, they don't see mothering as a reward and, oh, the fruit of my womb, oh, this is a blessing from the Lord. They feel like it's a curse because the children have made it difficult, right? But I want you to claim this promise that mothers can be happy. Psalm 113 verse 9 in the NLT, it says, He gives the childless woman a family, making her a happy mother. Praise the Lord. That's what it says, making her a happy mother. Claim that for yourself. Lord, I want to be a happy mother. I want to enjoy my parenting. I want it to, to, to be like a blessing. I want it to be fulfilling. I was coaching someone today and I asked them this question. I said, what brings you fulfillment? What brings you joy? When do you feel like, oh, this is life? And she says, you know what? When I just see my son, um, you know, this is an Afrikaans lady. You'll see why I'm saying that. When I just see my son there playing rugby and seeing him playing well. And when he gives me feedback and he tells me this was his strategy and this is what he did. I'm just thinking moms are very different because there's some moms where it's like rugby and my child. No, that's not a place of happiness. But this is what she was saying. And I said, okay, you're a real Bura Mensa, Macy, Bura Macy. Okay. As she was speaking about that. But here's the thing. Mothers can be happy. You can find it fulfilling. The fourth thing in terms of our response to mothering is mother's teachings must be taken seriously. I've read the scripture earlier on, Proverbs 6, 20 to 21. My son, observe the commandment of your father and do not forsake the teaching of your mother. So what do you do with the teaching of your mother? It says, bind them continually on your heart. Tie them around your neck. In other words, don't forget what your mother tells you, what your mother teaches you. Isn't that so powerful? Children, those of you listening to this message, take your mother's teachings seriously, right? Um, and it's sad that we live in a society where the father is respected, right? Ooh, even the mother will keep saying, I'm going to tell dad. If you do that, I'll tell dad like she has no authority. We need to restore her authority in the family once again where children will know, you know what? Yes, I take dad's teachings seriously, but I also take mom's teachings seriously. The fifth, mothers must be looked after. I love what Jesus did. And many people don't talk about this, but when Jesus was on the cross, he was still thinking of his mother and making sure she was cared for. 
in John chapter 19, 26 to 27 in the NLT, when Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved, it was John, okay? John knew he was loved by Jesus, right? He is writing about this, right? Beside the disciple he loved, he said to her, dear woman, here is your son. And he said to, the, to this disciple, here is your mother. And from then on, this disciple took her into his home. Isn't that powerful? Isn't that powerful? Jesus took care of his mother. He delegated responsibility to John and says, you know what? She's your mom now. <laughs> it was powerful. And, and it wasn't this arm's length thing, you know, of, okay, I'll take care of you. It was, I will take care of you. He took her into his home. Mothers must be looked after, ladies and gentlemen. The sixth thing is that mothers are worthy of tenderness. Anyone who's a mother, anyone who's mothering is worthy of tenderness. You see, it's important to, for us to, to meditate on how God is treating someone right now. And then we reinforce that. And look how Father God treats those who are mothers. In Isaiah 40 verse 11, it says, He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. He gently leads those that have young. He's talking about mothers here. He gently leads those that have young. He's tender. Some translations say he's tender with those that have young. I want to encourage you. When people are going through stuff with their kids, when people have burdens they're carrying because of their children and looking after children, don't be heavy-handed with them, but be tender towards them. Be sensitive. Those of you who are employers, right, lead those with young gently, okay? Don't be cruel to them. Understand that they need the work-rest balance and there's a blessing on your life as a result of it. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for three categories of people. I want to pray firstly for the moms out there where you're the biological mother of children. I want to pray for you that you function in those five dimensions of motherhood that I mentioned earlier on. I also want to pray for all of us where we want to birth things in the spirit, where we want to spiritually function in that mothering grace and do things that um, mothers do in the spirit. I'm now talking about the spiritual dimension of mothering. We need to pray for that for our communities. Then I want to pray for all of us. It's really a prayer where we're repenting in brokenness just around how we respond to motherhood. Father God, we thank you for what you're doing in our midst right now. We thank you, Lord, for this word. And I pray for the moms out there. I pray that your grace rests very strongly on our mothers. I pray, Father God, that you help them in all the dimensions of mothering. We thank you, Father, that indeed moms stay. May they not abandon their children. May they not forsake their children. May they be fully present with, you, with their children. I pray for the grace to stay. I pray for empowerment, Lord, for them to feed their families and to also feed them spiritually, to take on that role of being a teacher who instructs and their instructions will not be forgotten. I pray, Father God, for our mothers to reconcile people, to gather them, to bring them together in such a powerful way. Let that grace be released, Lord, of uh, being the repairer of the breach, bring that glue in our communities. We ask for your grace. We ask for your assistance. Father God, I pray that we effectively bring forth life. 
I pray that you help us, Lord God, to receive our callings, to receive that seed of destiny, to carry what needs to be carried, Lord, in our spiritual wombs, in our natural wombs. And then also, Father God, to incubate the promises of God and then to bring them forth in the birthing process. Father, may you help us in this dimension, Lord God, of mothering and motherhood. We ask for your help, Lord God. We ask that you help us with the pain that is involved in mothering. May we be effective, Lord God, also in nurturing and comforting our children, spiritual children and natural children. May you help our mothers as they do this. Lord, we come before you and we ask for your grace to respond to mothering and motherhood. We ask for your grace, almighty God, to truly honor our mothers, that we would look after them, that we would be tender toward them, that, Father, we would honor them and praise them where praise is due. Father God, that we would be faithful, Lord, in receiving their teaching, in binding what they teach us to our hearts around our necks. We ask for your grace, Lord, to truly respond to mothering and motherhood. May you forgive us and may you cleanse us from when we have dishonored this function, this role in your body. We ask for your help and we ask for your grace in Jesus' mighty name. And the people of God said, Amen and Amen. I encourage you to love on your moms. I encourage you to do what is right according to the word of God. Let's honor our mothers around us. In Jesus' name, Amen.